Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 106th program in this series. In this program, I'm in John chapter 17, and I'll be moving into verse 5. In the previous message in verse 4, there were two things that I would like to review just for a moment in order to set the stage for verse 5. What we have here is we have the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus praying at the end of his ministry. And in studying the things that he had to say, there is a lot that we can discover about our God. In verse 4, we can see that God is doing work. At the end of verse 4, Jesus said, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. God is actively involved in doing work, doing works. He is involved in the creation of life, and he is establishing relationships with other people that he is willing to have with other people. And in these relationships, he will invite people to be a participant in the work that he is involved in. And so, of course, he needs to find people who are willing to work with him. In the previous messages, I described two different types of people, or I tried to divide people into two different categories. One could be the irresponsible, and the other could be the responsible. And they each have their own obstacles that they have to go through. It's not a good idea for God to invite the irresponsible to be a participant in the works that he is doing because the way that they solve their problems of life is in general trying to find someone else to do work for them. And so they're not a good candidate to be a participant in the work of God. What you will find is that these are people who do not want to be a participant in the work of God, who don't want to work with God. And so it's not a matter of him rejecting them. It really is a matter of him inviting them just because of his existence. And they reject the opportunity to be a part of his life by their decision, because it just simply is compatible with the way that they have decided to solve the problems of life. But then the responsible have their own obstacles they will usually have to deal with the obstacles related to compensation. If they're going to do work for God, well, they expect to be compensated for that. They expect to be blessed, or they expect to obtain rewards. And I don't want to say that there's anything negative about being blessed or obtaining rewards, but what people do is they make a decision that they are not going to be a part of God's life unless he provides them with blessings and rewards. But God is looking for people who will work with him regardless of the blessings, regardless of the rewards, who will work for him because it is good, because it is right, because what we can obtain by promoting the gospel, by perpetuating the gospel, by telling people about the truth of our God, is we can obtain more people with whom we can build relationships with, 
and together we can be involved in each other's lives and we can participate with each other in ways that we can be involved so that we can all grow together. That people can grow, people can mature, and people can participate in each other's lives to help make that possible. And so God is wanting to be involved in other people's lives so that they can grow, so that they can mature, so that they can become better people than who they are right now. And he would like other people to participate with him in this just for that purpose, so that other people can become better than who they are right now. And the responsible kind of person will often have the obstacle of doing this without blessings, without compensation, without rewards. And if they involve themselves in the work of God to some extent, and they don't get the return on their investment that they feel is satisfactory, then they won't do it anymore. They'll just simply drop out. And that is not in their interest, and that's definitely not in God's interest. We are fortunate that we have a God who is wise enough that he's not going to save a person who's going to just abandon him. He is going to save a person who he can see will be with him forever. But this is a decision that the other person has to make based on what they know, what they understand, what they learn, what they discover. Eventually, they will be confronted with the truth of this, and they will have to decide, is this the kind of relationship I really want to have or not? God wants those who do want that kind of a relationship. So by presenting himself, just by presenting himself, by presenting the truth, by presenting a covenant that people can surrender to or not, just by these definitions, he invites everyone to be a part of his life. But most people will choose not to. So what I want you to see is that it is through the presentation of the truth. In effect, what God has done is he has said, look, this is who I am. I live in reality. I live in the truth. Does anybody, anybody want to have a relationship with a person like me? And this is difficult to find. It is difficult for God to find people who would like to have a relationship with another person on the basis of reality and on the basis of truth. This is difficult. Both the irresponsible and the responsible have their own struggles, but in general, everyone has got their own struggles with regards to, do they really want to live that way? Are you really willing to give up all of the advantages of being a dishonest person? all of the advantages and opportunities of pretending to be someone who you are not, just to give you an example, most people are accustomed, they are good at having relationships with others on the basis of deception, dishonesty, manipulation, looking at other people only in the context of what is their utility in their lives, what is their usefulness to me, for example. Everyone deals with these struggles. We deal with these struggles from the time we are born. And as we grow up as toddlers and children and as adolescents, even as old adults, even to the point where people are dead, this is a relentless struggle that people have. God is obviously not going to obtain a perfect kind of person. 
So he has established a certain degree of tolerance that he has established that he has not disclosed to us, but a certain amount of tolerance, whereas he is willing to have a person in his life if they're willing to go far enough, far enough with regards to believing him, far enough with regards to wanting to live in reality, wanting to live in the truth, and also wanting to know him as a person. In verse 4, chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. He is saying that he has made God known well enough so that people can see him well enough to decide if they want to pursue him and know him more. So we have a God who has created this world, created all of these people, with the purpose of having some people who would be willing to turn to him and who would be willing to have a relationship with him based on what is true and what is real. Now, you perhaps can relate to this in your own way if you consider the relationships that you have with other people. Consider the question of, do these people know you as a person? I mean, do they really, really know you? Know you in the way that you are and in the way that you would like to be known. Chances are you will discover that there is a huge separation between the way they think you are and the way you really are. Now, in some cases, you might prefer that for various reasons. But we have a God who is genuine and true and he wants people in his life because they want to be in his life and know him because they do know him in a genuine way. Consider your thoughts. Consider the values that you have. Consider the things that are important to you. How do you see the world that you are a part of? How do you feel about the world that you are a part of? When you consider the relationships that you have with other people, are your thoughts of any importance to these people? Is how you feel of any relevance to these people? That's the correct word. To what degree are your thoughts and your feelings relevant to these other people? You might have people in your life who relate to you in a way that whatever you think simply has no relevance at all. How you feel has no relevance at all. Well, God is only willing to have relationships with other people who see him in a way that whatever he thinks does have relevance and however he feels does have relevance, at least to a certain extent, at least to some degree of tolerance is he willing to have a relationship with other people and those who have no regard for what he thinks or how he feels. He simply is not going to save these people. And these people don't really want to be saved. So it is a mutual understanding in that sense, even though it may not be explicit. There is the existence of an understanding that there is nothing between God and these people. So his presence is an invitation. Now, this is a project that he began before he created the world. From what I can tell, when he decided to create this world and to create people as he did, it appears to me that he knew that there would be someone, if not Adam and Eve, there would be someone who would eventually eat from the wrong tree, 
They would violate the law. They would die spiritually. And what we have right now would eventually unfold. I personally believe that there is more than enough evidence to show that this is the case. That he knew that this was going to happen. It was not his decision that this would happen. But because of the way that he created the world, it was inevitable that someone would decide to do this. And sure enough, Adam and Eve decided eventually, we don't know how long that was, but they did eventually decide to reject their God. So he created the world knowing that there would be a rejection of him. So in knowing that there would be a rejection of him, he knew that he would need to provide an opportunity for people to accept him because they would want to accept him. So he would need to start with a lot of people who reject him, who don't want to have anything to do with him. He needs those people so that he can invite them to decide to enter into a covenant with him, to decide to enter into a relationship with him to decide that they want to know him as a person and be a part of his life. So he does need a large collection of people who reject him in order to invite them to accept him. And of course, in the way that he has done this, there are very few people throughout the entire history of humanity who have decided that they want to accept him. But from his perspective, it is obvious that it is better to have some people who will have a genuine relationship with him than to have no one who will have a genuine relationship with him on this basis. So that's who Jesus is. Jesus is our God who has manifested in the flesh in order to provide for the new covenant in order to provide a way so that God can have people in his life because they want to be in his life. And this is important to see because of the rest of John chapter 17. All that I have said is important to understand what God is accomplishing and what he expresses in his prayer. Consider, for example, verse 5, John chapter 17, verse 5. And now, O Father... Glorify me together with yourself. Jesus says he wants to be known with the Father, with the living God, with his God. Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. It's a way of saying, let me be known as I was known before the world was. All right, well, how was he known before the world was? He was known as the living God. This is the same person. So what God has done is he has revealed himself in a small way. He manifested in the flesh as a man, as Jesus, so that people could be invited to know their God. And now he is ending that expression of himself. He is ending this expression of himself. He is no longer going to be Jesus of Nazareth. He's no longer going to be God manifested in the flesh. He is now going to 
contract in an abstract way. He's not going to expand by manifesting in this way. Now he's going to contract, and this manifestation is now going to go away. And so people can now be drawn in to see God for who he is. So the abstraction of Jesus, or the abstraction of the Son, is going to dissipate. It's going to go away a little bit at a time over the course of time because there is still a lot more to accomplish. But eventually, for example, when you go to heaven, are you going to see three thrones when you go there? Of course not. You're not going to see this elderly, wise person sitting on the middle throne with some younger fellow on the throne to his right and some kind of a mist ascending over the throne on his left, you're not going to walk in to a sanctuary and see three thrones, as people like to promote the idea of three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are the same person. It's going to be one throne, one person. That's it. That's what you're eventually going to go to. That's what we're going to see. That's who we are going to relate to. It's going to be one person. God is one. He always has been. He always will be. But he has expressed himself in multiple ways so that we can understand him a little bit at a time. To see Jesus is to see our God in a small way. Definitely not in the fullness of his magnitude and in his glory. Just in a little bit of magnitude and a little bit of glory. But this manifestation is now ending. God is going to now relate to others in a more profound way. They made it this far. Now they can move on and they can see, yes, it's the same person. Really? Wow. It's the same person. What more can you show me about who you are? And that will be the continuation of the relationship that we have with our God. So again, in verse five, when he says, and now, O father, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is God praying as a man, expressing the fact that there is now going to be a unification, a reunification of who he is in the fullness of his being, in his totality. That this is a way that we can hear him speak, hear his words, hear his expression, And know that this is the end of something that he did in order to accomplish a set of purposes. And when this is over, there is no longer going to be these I's and you's and me's. There is only going to be him. Continuing into verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. All right, I'm going to start with when he said they were yours. Everyone on this planet is God's. They are his in the sense that this is his planet. This is his creation. You really do belong to him. And he can choose. He can decide to do whatever he wants with his own property, with what belongs to him with what is his, and you are his property. You belong to him, and he can decide to do whatever he wants with you. And if you think otherwise, don't worry, just give it a little bit more time. And eventually, 
He will show you that this is the case. So everyone truly is His, but there are only a few kinds of people that He really wants to be with Him for all eternity. And who are these people? These are the people who, when they see the opportunity to know their God, to live in reality, to know the truth, to have a relationship with Him on the basis of reality and truth, when these people are confronted with the reality of their God, and when they are given the opportunity, the invitation to be a part of His life, those people who will value that, who will want that, who will decide to enter into that, those are the people that God wants, and those are the people that he has effectively given to himself. He has given these people to himself, and the way that he did that was not by just looking out at this group of people and saying, okay, I'll take that one, that one, that one, that one, and then I'll just reshape them into who I want them to be. No, he looks at everyone and he says, look, this is what I am willing to have in my life. Anybody out there want that also? And those who say yes, those are the ones that are in this way given to Jesus because of the presentation of himself, because of the presentation of the truth. So that's what he means in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Now, Jesus manifested the name of God, the truth of God to everyone. Who were these men? The men who decided that they wanted that. Jesus went on, they were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. That's the end of verse 6. They have kept your word. They have valued your word. They have received the truth. Your word is the truth. They have received the truth because they want the truth. At least as much as they could handle, as much as they could understand, they genuinely wanted to know their God. They wanted to know the truth. These are the people who responded to the invitation of God. So they were given to Jesus in this abstraction because Jesus presented the truth and they responded. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. So our God presented the truth and these people responded. These people belong to God and so they are in this abstract way. They are given to God. Given to Jesus, given to God. All that is God's is Jesus's. All that belongs to Jesus is God because it's the same person in this sense. And this was all accomplished by God simply presenting the truth and giving people an invitation to believe. Then in the rest of the verses, Jesus prays that the disciples will have a similar relationship with each other, that they will live in the truth with each other, that they will have genuine relationships with one another so that they can become like one. Just as when you decide to surrender to the new covenant, when you decide to respond to what God has offered, when you enter into the genuine relationship with him that he has defined, you are, in a sense, 
one with God. He is one with you. You are together. Jesus wants the disciples to be one with one another. And this will be accomplished when they are all living on the basis of reality and on the basis of truth. Then they will be one with one another. For this to take place, they have to first be one with their God. There has to be a fundamental standard of truth. And this only happens when the individual person has an individual relationship with the definer of truth, with the definer of reality. And when you have this genuine relationship with your God on the basis of truth, and I also have this genuine relationship with our God on the basis of truth, then we can be one with one another because we both have the same definition of what is real and what is true. There is no other way for us to be one with one another. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 106th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, and I was explaining that God presented himself to the world that he created. But he decided that there was only a certain kind of person that he wanted in his life, the kind of person who wanted to have a relationship with him on the basis of what is real, on the basis of what is true. So he decided to present himself in the context of the truth, and those who had an interest in the truth were those who responded to him. When he was here on the earth as the Lord Jesus, he expressed the truth. That was his decision. And there were others, specifically his disciples, as he is praying for them in John chapter 17, his disciples who decided to respond to the truth because they decided that they want to have a relationship with God on the basis of truth. So through the decision of God and the responsive decision of an individual here in this world, there can be a relationship such that God and this person can become one. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net